Welcome to the Destiny Youth Podcast. Destiny Youth is the youth ministry of Destiny Church based in Glasgow. Thanks for listening. All right, let's let's continue onward with uh, with where we left off with the the questions. Okay, are you ready, Matt? No, I am ready. You know, these are tough questions that our youth like to ask us. So, I love tough questions. I know you do. I know you do. You always like a challenge. Okay, so our first question of the evening is, is it all right for Christians to force people into their belief, not only that Jesus is Lord, but also their belief about music or modesty? Okay, so is it right for Christians to force their beliefs on people? No, because you can't force a decision for God. That decision has to be made for God. But for the second part, can they force, like, clothing and wearing certain clothing and modesty and music? I can guarantee you whoever wrote this is asking that because their parents have told them not to wear something or listen to a certain type of music. To which that I say, they cannot force you, but you better obey it. Because if you have any understanding of authority, if you are living in your parents' home and your parents tell you, don't listen to, I don't know, Lizzo, he probably shouldn't just to begin with. But if they tell you not to listen to Lizzo, it doesn't matter if she's your favorite artist, you don't listen to Lizzo because your parents asked you not to and you obey them. Word of God says to obey your parents. The only time where you don't have to obey your parents is if they're asking you to sin. That's the only time. But as long as you are in their house, they have authority over you. When you leave, you can make that decision for yourself. Listen to whatever you want to listen to. But no, a Christian cannot force their beliefs on somebody, and they cannot force you to listen or not listen to any sort of music. That's a decision that you have to make for yourself. Yeah, and it comes back to as well, like what we were talking about last week, freedom of choice as well. Like we all have, we're all free to choose what we want to do, what we want to believe in. Um, And I hope nobody has forced you to believe in God. I hope you've come to that realization yourself. Um, But if you have been forced to, please come and talk to us afterwards. Like, please don't hide that. Like, That's the worst thing you can do, is hide it. Okay, we're going deep again, Matt. What is blasphemy of the spirit, and why is it an unforgivable sin? If someone committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit but repented for it later, will they be forgiven? So, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit... uh, I've heard some Catholics really get this wrong, where they say that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is making fun of God. Plenty of people make fun of God all the time that don't know him. That's not what that's actually referring to. What it's referring to is if you've had an encounter with God, you have known God, felt God, and you choose to mock him, you choose to walk away, you choose to deny him, that is the blasphemy of his spirit. 
So ultimately, it boils down to your, your pride. It's a lot like the story of Eli, the high priest. They have the Ark of the Covenant, which had the presence of God would come and sit on the Ark of the Covenant. And then one day, the Philistines steal the Ark. Now, if you remember from the times that I've talked about it, if you went into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark was, where the presence of God was, and you did it incorrectly, you died. You're done. They would tie a rope around the high priest every time he went in so that if he drops dead, they could pull him out. Not because God is mean. It's because his presence is that holy. Does that make sense? His presence is so holy that our flesh cannot be around it. But the Philistines come in, and the Philistines somehow get the Ark of the Covenant, put it on a cart, and wheel it away. Yet they didn't die. They didn't know God. God held the Hebrews to a higher standard because they knew him. They knew his law. They knew what the rules were. They knew of his holiness. The Philistines didn't. So if you're saying to somebody who doesn't believe in God, has never encountered God, hey, don't make fun of God, that's blasphemy against the Spirit, and now he can never forgive you again. That's incorrect. If you deny God, walk away, and say, I'm going to choose to live my life the way I want to live it, forget God, that's blasphemy. The second part is, will God forgive it, and why is it called unforgivable? It's not that God is incapable of forgiving this sin. You are incapable of repenting. Again, it goes back to pride. Pride is what keeps you from coming to God and repenting. So it's not that God won't forgive it. It's that you won't repent. Therefore, it is unforgivable. It's not his fault. It's your fault because you won't come and repent. Okay, the next question leads on from that as well. Why do people blaspheme against the things in the Bible? Again, we have to define blaspheme, but for this, I think they meant like make fun of or not hold to like a, a holy text. So the reason that they make fun of it, blaspheme it, is because it is, and I've said this before, all other religions, we don't see people making fun of them, ridiculing them in the way that people ridicule Christianity. And the reason behind that is because Christianity is the only one that's true. Christianity is the only route. Jesus is the only route to salvation and to heaven. Buddha isn't. Muhammad isn't. Whoever the other ones are, I don't know because they don't matter. None of them are a threat to Satan pushing you toward hell. The only one who is a threat is Jesus. So that's why Christianity is always hit way harder. It's always mocked so much more than every other text that anyone could call religious or holy in any way. Just look, look at the world around you. No one has a problem with the Quran. You kind of do when you read what's in it. You should have a problem when you read what's in it. 
but no one seems to have a problem with it. They have a problem with the Bible. The next question is, why don't we talk about the mark of the beast, blasphemy, and witchcraft? Because there's not enough spiritually mature people to handle that information. That's just, that's the basis of it. We can talk about it. I would love to talk about it, but there's other things that you should be worried about before moving on to those things, like basic salvation, how to pray, how to hear the voice of God. The mark of the beast doesn't matter if you don't know how to hear the voice of God. So it has to get to that level first of what are the important things, your relationship with God, the mark of the beast. How many of you have seen a Hollywood movie about the apocalypse and then there's some sort of mark of the beast, whatever? It's, it's silly information in comparison to the gospel. It's just, it's good information, but if that's what you're studying and you leave out the gospel, then it doesn't matter. Secondly, witchcraft. A lot of people think that it's, it's like Harry Potter, like yelling out Italian dishes and a biggity boopy. It's, it's not that. Witchcraft in the Bible is actually defined as manipulation. Whereas if someone is casting a spell, what are they doing? They're, they're manipulating the world around them. They're manipulating through a spirit, either tapping into some demonic spirit to try to manipulate a person or a situation. Witchcraft is manipulation. So you have to think of it less as witches and wizards and more of someone who is trying to manipulate those around them. Hitler's a great example. People think all the time, how did that man get so many people to follow him? Witchcraft, manipulation. He manipulated an entire group of people to follow something so outlandish. That's witchcraft. What was the other one? Blasphemy. Oh, and blasphemy. We already, we already talked about that. But I would love to talk about those things. There's a time and a place for them, but the gospel comes first. Hearing God comes first. Your prayer life comes first. We have to get that handled first. Okay, another deep one. Will God really judge us after death? Yes, but it's going to be different if you have Jesus. So when you stand before God, you have to give an account you have to basically look at all the decisions that you made. But what happens is he doesn't see the poor decisions you made. He sees Jesus. He sees the price that Jesus paid. The Bible says your sins are as far as the east is from the west. I have forgotten them. You will still know, but thank God you have Jesus to stand in the gap for you. Because you are guilty of those things. And you will feel the regret of it. But once you are in heaven with him, he doesn't remember it. I don't know if we'll remember it. Probably not, because it says that there's no tears and sadness in heaven. So I don't know. But yes, you will have to give an account for everything. So have Jesus with you when that happens. Please. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. If God is good, then why does the Bible say that LGBT is a sin? Is it okay to be LGBT? The Bible says it's a sin because it is. 
The Bible also says that gossip is a sin. The Bible also says that heterosexual sex outside of marriage is a sin. Jesus went as far as to say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I have a couple of gay friends. They know I love them. They know I care about them. They know I don't agree, and that's okay. You can be friends with someone and not agree with the way that they live. Look at what Jesus did. He was friends with people, and then he told them the truth. Where we can go wrong is we can be friends with those people and then say, you know what, it's, it's actually, it's okay. Because then that's a lie, and then you're going to be held accountable for lying to them. And then the other thing that we can do that's wrong is we can be so judgmental and we can be so holier than thou trying to cover up our own sins that we then point the finger and we say, oh, homosexuality, that's the worst thing. When it's actually not. When you, when you look at the things that, that God actually calls like the worst sins, uh, homosexuality is actually not up there. You know what is up there? Gossip. Like that, that hits hard. But the number one sin, we just talked about it a moment ago, and this is the fifth time you've heard me say this, number one worst sin, what is it? Pride. So that's a thing that you have to look at and be aware of. What are the LGBT parades called? Pride. It's a celebration of pride. You can't toy with that because at that point, it's not necessarily the, the homosexual or whatever sin it is that's the major issue. The major issue is the pride. And if you allow that pride to grow and you tell them, no, it's okay to do this, that pride just keeps growing and they won't be able to come back into repentance. You need to love them. You need to tell them the truth. And you cannot partner with any of the pride that they have, just like how you cannot partner with any of the pride that you have. That, that, that's all that sin is, is it's just going against God's word and his will. Anything that goes against his word and his will is sin. And the reason why pride is so bad is because pride is you thinking that you know better than God. And if you know better than God, then why would you need to come and repent and apologize? Because this is me. This is who I've decided to be. When he says, no, I've, I've made you. I've fearfully and wonderfully made you. This is who you are supposed to be. No, 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 no. Sorry, God, who created the universe. I'm in charge. I know who I am. It's dangerous, man. It's very dangerous to deal with. So it says it's a sin because it's a sin. And then is it okay to be LGBT? No. Just like I would tell you, it's not okay for you to be having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Just like I would tell you, it's not okay to disobey your parents. It's not okay to gossip. It's not okay to be a religious zealot hiding your sin and going around and pointing the finger at everyone else. None of it's okay. We just have to be careful of the way that we treat it. Don't let your pride get in the way 
of you helping them chip away at their pride. Because if you're both prideful, you're both in major trouble. Stay humble. It's kindness that leads you to repentance. Be kind to them, but do not be wavering in what the Word of God says. Thanks, man. Will God still love us if we sin? Yes. Yeah, I don't think that needs any more explanation, does it? Okay. How do we repent? Repenting. If you look at the original Greek meaning of repent, it just means to change your mind. So you go before God and you say, I did A, B, and C. I see in your word that this is wrong. This is not according to your will. This is not according with what you want. I'm sorry. I regret that I've done this. Help me to change my mind. It's also why we have, it says, the mind of Christ. Ask for the mind of Christ so that your mind is changed to a new understanding of what God's word says and not what the word of Matt says. If I had my way, like, you don't even want to know what I'd be doing. It would be very bad. But that's where your mind has to change. You have to be conformed to the things of God. God will not conform to you. That will not happen. You have, you have two choices. You conform to God or you conform to the world. That's it. Because in the center there is flesh. You either go with what the world says, go with what you think is best, or you go with what God says and what he has planned for you. There's only one way that's beneficial. Because the other two, they just, they lead to death. They lead to destruction. They promise you a, a good time. They promise you fulfillment. And you might feel fulfilled for a moment. And then once that fulfillment is, is gone, you're left with nothing. It always leads to death and destruction. You have to choose God's way. Okay, so the next section is we have a couple of questions about Satan. And these are, why does God not just kill Satan? And why didn't God just end Satan when he kicked him out of heaven? Okay, so Satan sins. Again, his sin is pride. He says, I know better than God. We don't need to listen to this guy. You can listen to me. I'm more powerful than him. I'm greater than him, blah, 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 blah. Full of pride. So, of course, God kicks him out of heaven. I said this in, in the last one. Angels have a choice. Just like how we all have a choice. You choose to love God and follow him, or you choose not to. You choose to follow after yourself. You can become your own God. It's a terrible God. Like, what can you do? <laughs> like, realistically, what can I do that's so amazing and special that's going to help everyone? I can't do anything. So he, he kicks Satan out of heaven. The reason he didn't just kill Satan is because if he killed Satan, then God's a dictator. It wouldn't have been this choice allowed. And then if all the angels that fell with 
Lucifer, if they saw like God just evaporates him, they'd be like, oh, we'll do whatever you say. Then it's no longer a choice. They're, they're afraid of him in the wrong sense. Having a healthy fear of God is, is fearing being away from him, wanting to be with him, wanting to be with his presence, but also knowing how powerful he is. That's different from we better do what this guy says or he's going to kill us. There's, there's no choice to love him there. So if he had just killed Satan, and yeah, the argument is, oh, if he would have killed Satan, everything would have been fine and Adam and Eve wouldn't have fallen. They probably still would have. They probably still would have. Also, Satan is a spirit, a spiritual being. That's why it says in Revelation that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. Now, I don't know how spirits work fully, but an eternal destruction of Satan, I'm sure God could do it. But everything in the book points to Satan is still going to be around. God is just putting him in his place for eternity. Now, whether the degree of destruction that, that comes into that, I don't know. But I personally don't think in all of my studies that a, a spirit can be fully destroyed, which is why it's so important that you take care of yours. That was the question, right? Why didn't he destroy Satan? Yeah, great. Okay, there we go. Okay. So we're going to move on to prayer now, which is wonderful because we just finished our season of prayer and fasting on Sunday. So our first question on prayer map is, how often are you supposed to pray? So the Bible says in Ephesians 6, pray constantly. How many of you do that? I don't. You have to understand the context of what that means. When he says pray constantly, how are you supposed to pray whenever you're asleep? By praying constantly, he's saying no matter the situation, no matter the location, no matter what's going on, be praying. So regardless of how you feel, regardless of how people around you feel, Pray, regardless if someone is going to look at you and think that you're a weirdo walking down the street talking to yourself, still pray. There's no X amount of time that you have to spend praying. There's no least amount of time you have to spend praying. Just pray. And the best thing you can do is ask the Holy Spirit to tell you when to pray. Say, Holy Spirit, prompt me when to pray. Just pray. Give me a spiritual notification, if you will, on when you want me to pray. One, one practice that's really helpful is, I've, I've said this to quite a few of you, when you get up in the morning, say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Acknowledge that he is there as soon as you wake up. Because when you acknowledge he's there, he will speak to you for the rest of the day. The worst thing you can do is wake up, forget he's there, and then all of a sudden at the end of the night when you're going to bed, I haven't prayed today. Well, it's more than that. You haven't even talked to God for the entirety of the day. You didn't even like put your ear to the heavens and say, God, do you, do you have something for me? So do that every morning. Get up, say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Tell me what you want me to pray about. Tell me when you want me to pray and go from there. And don't worry about like trying to hit a time. 
I would always encourage you, spend 10 minutes a day praying in your prayer language because after 10 minutes, stuff changes. That's just my encouragement to you. Don't feel like you need to hit 10 minutes, but you should every day be praying in your spiritual language or just praying in English, whatever language you speak. But ask him to prompt you and just daily, at some point daily, pray. Absolutely. And I'll just I'll add to that quickly. If someone asks you to pray for them, don't just say that you'll pray for them because you'll probably forget. Say, okay, let's pray right now and pray with them right there and then. How do you know when God is speaking to you and it's not just you thinking? I love this because a lot of the times that you think it's just you, it's actually God. Because what happens whenever he speaks to you, some people... I know very few, but some people can hear him audibly. That doesn't happen with me. I would love if that happened with me. It would probably scare the junk out of me. But what happens is the Holy Spirit is connected to God in heaven. It's his presence here on earth with us. So when God says something, the Holy Spirit tells your spirit, and you feel it in your spirit. Now, it's your spirit so it sounds like you. A lot, of the, a lot of the times you can tell that it's a thought from God or something that you're hearing from God when it's quicker than you can think or when it's something that you had no previous knowledge of. So if you were sitting there and it's like, God, show me uh, a scripture in the Bible and then all of a sudden you get Isaiah 4.3. You go and look up Isaiah 4.3 with no knowledge of what this scripture says and then you read it, and it's exactly what you needed, that was God. Or you might hear, and this one is a fun one. This, okay, this is a dangerous prayer to pray. If you pray and ask God to speak to you, it's the best prayer that you can pray, but it's dangerous because when he starts speaking to you, he will find ways to push you and challenge you. Uh, I think I've told this story before. Walking back from the gym, there was an older lady who was walking the opposite way, and she was smoking. And on my walks to the gym, I, I pray, normally in the spirit, and just wait for him to tell me to pray about something. But I see this lady smoking. She's walking toward me. And then the Holy Spirit says, tell her to stop smoking. Oh, you sure? Are you positive that that's what you want me to say? Just the words, stop smoking. He's like, yes, say it. And there's always that part of you that's like, oh, man, I really hope this is from God because this is going to make me look like a weirdo. Also, this lady is like five foot one in her 80s, and I'm walking past her. Stop smoking. But so I walk up, and I'm like, hey, you should stop smoking. And I kid you not, she has this cigarette in her mouth and she goes, yeah, you're right. And then throws it on the ground and then keeps walking. But when you ask him to speak to you in that way, he will give you something to do. He will give you an assignment. A lot of them are going to be challenging for you because it's going gonna, it's gonna to push you into a place that you haven't been yet. But that's good for you because that's, that's, that's growth. One biblical example is Samuel when he's a boy and he's in the temple. Again, 
Eli was the high priest. And it says in scripture that words from the Lord were very rare in that day. So Eli wasn't hearing from the Lord. And that's a whole other story about him letting his sons sin and do all sorts of weird, nasty stuff in the temple. But Samuel is this boy, and he he hears God. He thinks it's Eli calling him. And some of you know the story. He goes to Eli, did you call me? No. Goes back, hears it again, goes to Eli. No, I didn't call you. Goes back. And then after like the third time, Eli says, hey, it's probably God trying to speak to you. Go back, lay down. When you hear him say something, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So he goes back, he lays down. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. A dangerous prayer to pray. So then God speaks to him. And the next day, Eli says, hey, so what did God say? But God had told Samuel about Eli's sons, how horrible they were, and what was going to happen if he didn't straighten things up. Basically, it was like your whole entire family is going to be ruined. There's not going to be any males to continue on your family name. It's going to be awful. So Eli says, you have to tell me what God says. So now here's Samuel, this boy, talking to the, the boss of the temple. Somebody in, in the kids' ministry talking to the head pastor of the church. And the first word that he gets from God is, you have to stop this or your whole family's going to die. God will put you in a situation that's going to grow you and test you. It's going to grow your faith as well because you, you can sometimes get the strangest word and then you tell somebody what the word is and it's exactly what they needed to hear. But you thought it was insane. You thought it was absolutely crazy. And that's where the trust comes in. You have to grow in your trust that what you're hearing from God is God. It's quicker than you can think. It's knowledge that you didn't know about. It often will sound like you, and majority of the time, it will challenge your flesh. At the beginning of the fast, if you prayed and you asked God, what what should I fast? And you love video games. Like, this is how you unwind at the end of the day, and you, you play Fortnite, whatever. And then God says, you need to not play Fortnite for 21 days. And then you go, ah, that can't be God. No, that's too much. That's too rough. I can't do that. No, if it's challenging your flesh, it's probably him. It's most likely him. Because think about it, that thought most likely didn't come from you. I I can guarantee you it didn't come from you. If you suddenly have the thought of, I need to give up the thing that I really, really love in order to spend time with God, that was 99%, that was God. Absolutely. Um, and also, God can also speak to you through just sometimes that kind of sense in your spirit. I quite often get that, where I just sense something and I just know it's God. There's just, I can't, I don't think I can even explain it. It's just, it's just when you feel that, you just know. You know it's God. You know it can't be you. It's just, yeah, it's, you just know it's God. And to, and to add on to that, he knows your personality. You will likely hear from him differently than I hear from him. Yeah. Uh, Jen will hear differently than I hear. He, he knows the perfect way to speak to you. He knows the perfect metaphor to give to you that you understand. If he starts talking to Jen about guns, 
that that be weird. Has he ever talked to you about guns no. before? No. But he, he can do that with me all the time, all day long, because I have an understanding of that. So he will put the thing in your spirit that he wants you to hear, and he'll do it in a way that you're going to understand it. If, you, if it's something that you know is from him, but you don't have a full understanding, that's when you need to go to somebody that you trust and say, hey, I'm trying to figure out what God said in this. Can you help me? A lot of the times if he speaks to you through dreams, like th this happened to me once. I had a crazy dream that I knew was from him that I could not shake. Like I just kept thinking about it. And in Texas, there's, uh, there's this pastor who, he's incredible at interpreting dreams. Um, but I went to him and I was like, hey, wanted to share this with you. I think I have like 60% of it figured out. I want to share it with you so you can give me feedback on what you think the Lord is saying. I didn't tell him the 60% that I had. I just told him the dream. And then he told me the 60% that I already had and then the rest of it. So sometimes God gives you pieces and you have to go to somebody you trust, get them to help you fill in those pieces. Okay. We have, well, it's split into two. Um, so it's one last question. And it's about healing and a bit about unanswered prayers as well. Why did God not heal my leg after I prayed for it? And is it okay for Christians not to pray every day? You kind of answered your own question there. Why did God not heal my leg when I prayed for it? Is it okay to not pray every day? So either prayer works or it doesn't. Either you believe it works and you stand on the fact that it works and you pray as often as you can because you know it changes things or you don't believe that it works and so you're just like, eh, whatever. There's plenty of stories where God doesn't answer your prayer right away. He doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you thought he would. He's not a magic genie. You don't get three wishes. Sometimes you can pray for something and the timing is wrong. He wants to teach you something before it happens. Or a good friend of mine, her entire life, she has struggled with this, with this disease that she's had. And ever since she was a kid, she prayed, like, God, heal me of this. God, heal me of this. God, heal me of this. She's 32 now, still has it. It hasn't shaken her belief in God. But the thing that you have to realize is that prayer is going to be answered. When you go to be with him, boom, prayer answered. But we have such a I want it right now mentality that here on earth when it's like, God, I want a million dollars, and then it doesn't happen, it's like, what the heck, man? You said this prayer stuff works. You have to pray within the will of God. The best prayer that you can pray is, Lord, I would, I would love for this to happen. I know that you can do it. If it is in your will for this to happen, do it, because I want your will to be done, not mine. If he answers a prayer at the wrong time, if he, he, if he gives you the thing that you want at a period where you're not at the maturity level that you can handle it, that's a recipe for disaster. He knows the proper time. 
And like I said, your prayer for healing will be answered. When you go to be with him, it's answered. His promise wasn't broken. We like to think that we have everything figured out and we've got all of our plans in place and everything. He, he saw the beginning of time and he saw the end of it. And that's what you have to remember is his timing is perfect. Not yours, not when you want something. His timing is perfect. Is he still good if he never heals you? On this earth, at least. And the other question you have to ask yourself is, if God never answered another one of your prayers until the day you died, is Jesus still enough for you? Is the price he paid for your salvation still enough for you? When you realign yourself into that perspective, it helps ground you in the idea of he's, he's already provided everything. He's provided a way for me to be with him forever in paradise. But like I said, we're so like day to day, what's in front of me right now, what's happening? And that's just a part of being human. We don't think in terms of outside of time like he does. And if he does answer it, congratulations, that's awesome. Give him thanks. Even, with, even if he doesn't answer it, give him thanks, knowing that he will when you go to be with him. And then do Christians need to pray every day? Yeah, yeah I, would, I would highly suggest that you talk to God every day. Think about a relationship where you don't talk to the person you can't be married to somebody and then never talk to them. The good thing about God is he, no matter how long you've, you've not talked to him, no matter, no matter how long you've been away from him, when you go to talk to him, he is ready to hear from you. He loves hearing from you. You can't annoy him. He wants to hear about every aspect. I was praying for somebody earlier and the Lord said, tell them I wanna hear about their emotions. Because a lot of times we think that whenever we go before God and we're trying to pray, we have to be, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can go to him a complete mess. You need to be respectful, but you can go before him a complete mess and say, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. Whatever it is, he wants to hear those things from you. And we act like we can hide it from him. Like you, you feel like absolute depression and then you go before God, Lord, thank you so much that this is the day that you've made and uh, I just pray for my aunt, uh, pray that she will be made whole. Also pray for my dog. Lord, would you just help my dog? Uh, amen. And he's like, whoa, hang on. What's with this depression stuff? Let's talk about that. Oh, no, 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 that's something. No, you're not supposed to know about that, God. Shh. Like he, he knows he wants to hear about it. So don't feel like you need to hide anything from him. He wants to hear. And any shame that you feel about something, that's not from him. That's from Satan. When you feel shame about something, like you can't tell God about it, you're doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. What did they do? They ate the apple. They went and hid. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to go and hide and keep something from God, even though you can't. He knows about it but he wants you to keep it away from God so that you don't come forward with it and say, God, here's this, I need help with this. 
He wants to keep you in the dark, in your sin, in your struggle, whatever it is, without the help. Because the more that he can pull you into the dark, the more that he can get you away from God because of that shame that you feel, the less you'll go to God with your problems. So yes, highly encourage every single day. I'm not even gonna call it praying. Every single day, talk to God. Just do it. Do it! I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I think it's just really important to remember that you can just have a conversation with them. You don't need to be all high and mighty and holy because we're not. You know, it's just like me and Matt having a conversation. That's how you are with God. And that's how he wants you to come before him. 